Good evening. We'll go ahead and get started here. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. Guys, staying warm? That wind is not making it any better, is it? I am so thankful for chapel. I am so thankful. Uh, tonight's our, our last evening together for the winter term. Wow, give, your, give yourselves a hand. You made it. You survived the winter term. And up comes uh, finals week next week and then um, spring. Not the season, but spring <laughs> term. It is our privilege to have one of our local pastors with us this evening. Uh, pastor Gene Great is the pastor at Springs First Church of the Nazarene, just right down the hill. Would you welcome him? He's, he's going to help us here. Uh, from the Lord this evening. Would you please stand uh, with, with me tonight? As you can tell, the NBC music department is going to be leading us in worship. But before then, let's, let's just pray together, okay? Um, let's just ask God's blessing and let's just welcome Him with us to, to be with us this evening. He already has this week, but again, we just anticipate him speaking to us tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We worship you. Open up our eyes, but not just our eyes, but open up our hearts, God, to whatever it is, Lord Jesus, that you want to minister and speak to us about this evening. Through the songs, through your word, Lord Father, we just give you ourselves again, and we trust in you with all of our hearts. And thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Father in heaven, we do want to lift you up. And we do want to see you. We praise you and thank you once again for who you are. And for what you mean to each and every one of us. Father, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to bless Pastor Grace, as he brings forth tonight's message to us, to speak to our hearts so that we can walk away with, once again, what you want us to learn. I ask you, Father, to be with um, each and every uh, professor and uh, the staff and faculty that's here. And thank you for the Nazarene Bible College. Thank you, Lord, that we can have some place to come to learn more about you, that we can be faithful to your call. Now I ask you to be with us through the rest of this evening, and thank you for everything you've done for us, and thank you for what you are going to do. I ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have had a cold that's lasted longer than a month, like mine? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you are lucky people, is all I can say. It's good to be with you on the last chapel of the winter term, which means Jonathan saved me to the bitter end. That's all I can say. And it's good to be here and be the bitter end to your chapel experiences. 
and uh, happy to uh, share this evening with you tonight. I want to talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. Some of the most precious memories of my years growing up at home were those of hearing my father pray. Just over a month ago, my mother went to be with the Lord, and it was about 22 years ago my father went to be with the Lord, and yet many of those memories are still with me. I can remember the day on a Sunday afternoon when I was looking for my dad, and no one knew where he was, and I was a, either a, a preteen or an early teenager, and so I was wanting to find him, and I searched the house, and as I did, I began to hear his voice coming out of the basement. I stepped a little closer and began to listen, thought he was talking to someone, and he was. He was talking to the Lord, and he was praying aloud, and I realized that was not a moment to interrupt him, but it left forever in my mind a uh, favorite memory of who my dad was and how important prayer was. In fact, there were many times when his prayers were overheard. It might have been in the basement, as I just described, or from his bedroom. I've heard him pray. Over at our barn on our small farm, I've come near and heard him praying aloud, and I realized that he was a praying man, and it left a great uh, influence upon my life, a powerful influence on my life. But just think how much more important and meaningful it would be if we could just hear Jesus pray. Wouldn't it be neat to hear what he had to say and how he uh, had us on his mind and what he said when he talked to the Father in our behalf, to know what's really important to him. <clears throat> the good news is we can. We can hear him pray. He's already offered such a prayer, in, especially in our behalf. And we know what was important to him. The prayer I'm referring to is found in John's Gospel account, chapter 17. And it's as if the curtains of eternity have been drawn back and we have been uh, ushered into that divine intimacy between him and the Heavenly Father. It was only a few hours before his crucifixion and Christ was praying to the Heavenly Father about those things that were really a deep concern to him at that time. He was praying about us. He was praying about his disciples, but his disciples being those who were around him and following him at that time, but also for us. And I'm going to invite you to listen to part of that prayer, the most important prayer. Perhaps we can hear him pray. In verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed. In verse 9, he said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. In verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in verse 21, or verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. This is one of the most important things that Jesus was concerned about. Let's consider first the, the setting for which uh, we find this scripture and in which he prayed. When Jesus prayed this prayer, we know it indeed was just a few hours before his death on the cross. And I think it's somewhat reasonable to assume that uh, any man that's approaching his death uh, only hours away would be concerned with those things that were really most important to him, things he may want to say to his family, things he may want to do, things he may want to talk about or, or even listen to. And in, in Jesus' prayer, just hours before his death, we hear him praying about things we believe 
most important to him. And interestingly, in verse 17, he prayed that, that two-word prayer, sanctify them. The first question that comes to my mind is, who are them? For which he prayed they might be sanctified. The preceding chapters begin to reveal to us those with whom he spent his final hours. There was Simon Peter who had left all to follow Jesus. There was Andrew who had brought his brother to Jesus with a clear testimony, we have found the Messiah. There was Philip who had responded to the Lord's call, follow me. There was John who, with his brother James, had answered the call of Jesus and left their career and their family behind that they might follow him. These are those who are them for which Jesus prayed that God would sanctify. You see, Jesus did not treat them as sinners in need of repentance. Rather, he sent them out that they might preach repentance to others. Jesus declared repeatedly they were not of this world, even as he was not of this world, that he chose them out of the world, and therefore the world hated them. He called them friends. He assured them that their names were written in heaven. He prayed a blessing of peace upon them. He clearly said that these men for whom he prayed to be sanctified were already in him, just as the vine or the branches live in the vine. He promised them that whatever they asked for in his name, the Heavenly Father would give it to them. He encouraged them to keep their faith in him and to continue in his love. He shared the Lord's Supper with them and promised that he would do so again in the Father's kingdom. In addition, in this prayer, Jesus declared that he had already given them eternal life because God the Father had given them to him. He said that they had believed and obeyed God's word. He affirmed that he had given them the glory which God had given to him and he was glorified in them. He declared that he had kept them all and that none had been lost. And he said that he was praying for them, not for the world, but for those whom the Father had given him, for he said they belong to God. Now I ask you, dear friends, can words be used to more emphatically show that these for whose sanctification Jesus prayed were already true children of God? Clearly, they were. But these who were them must not have been sanctified. Certainly, it must be assumed that these disciples were not sanctified at the time Jesus prayed they would be, or else he would not have prayed that prayer. And when we look at the record of their lives, it's not difficult to discover evidence of their lack of holiness. Although they were thoroughly converted to Christ, and had truly answered the call to full-time ministry. They yet exhibited attitudes and actions that were not Christ-like. They were sectarian, selective, and exclusive in their view of other people. And I give you an example. John said, Jesus, we saw one, uh, someone casting out demons in your name, and we found out he wasn't one of our group, so we told him to stop it because he wasn't one of us. He was a person trying to do God's work, but discouraged from doing it because he didn't have the right label. 
because he didn't belong to the right group. To which Jesus said, would you leave him alone? I mean, if he's doing the work of the Lord and he's not part of our group, he's still doing the work of the Lord. Can I say to you at this time, this is an example of how sin divides. Sin is very, very divisive. The very meaning of the word is to miss the mark or to be wide of the mark. And as long as there is sin in the world, there will be divisions among men. There will be conflict, war, injustice, prejudice, Republicans and Democrats, dare I say. In the same way, when there's sin in the church, there'll be division in the church. There will be conflict and misunderstanding and gossip and, yes, injustice and prejudice and envy and strife and, and much, much more. But on the other hand, holiness unifies. The very meaning of the word is wholeness, and it brings the church together with one heart and one mind. It, it unifies us and helps us to realize that what God is doing in the world isn't just about us. It's really about him. It's God's kingdom. And in this prayer, Jesus prayed that those who followed him would be sanctified and unified even as his father and he were one. Interestingly, up to this point, the disciples had misunderstood Jesus' mission in our world, had demonstrated a self-seeking spirit, and indeed were unkind to other people who were uh, not like them. And when Jesus needed them the most, at the time of his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, these who were his followers ran away and abandoned him. No wonder Jesus said, God, you need to sanctify these people. <laughs> you need to cure these issues. So what does sanctification mean? In the Wesleyan circle, more Nazarene circle, entire sanctification, what does that mean? These evidences of the lack of Christ-likeness were centered in the sinful self or the sinful nature resulting from Adam's fall from original righteousness. And when we're saved from our sins and experience the experience of entire sanctification really does begin in that our personal decisions and acts of sins are forgiven, we call it initial sanctification. That process has begun through the forgiveness of our sins, that process of cleansing, <clears throat> And in this work of grace, God forgives our sins, our personal choices that have been sinful, but the sinful nature continues to be present even in the life of the believer, creating a spiritual, as you would read perhaps in Romans 7, if you take that position, a spiritual tug of war between the desire to do God's will or the desire to rely upon your own will. And it's sort of that back and forth, do I, don't I, the sinful nature must be cleansed from the inner person only through and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is a second experience that follows initial sanctification, which is repentance and, and salvation from a life of sinful choices. 
We also know that this experience may be received in a single moment of time in response to a sincere prayer of consecration in which we, as true believers who have answered God's call in our life, entirely consecrate our life back to God. For example, in the prayer that Jesus prayed for our sanctification in John chapter 17, he used the aorist tense in the Greek translation, suggesting that the sanctifying that God does in our life occurs in a single moment of time. It's not a process by which we grow into sanctification. Rather, we enter that experience the very moment that our prayer of entire consecration is answered by God's cleansing and sanctifying power in our life. And following that experience of God's cleansing from the very nature of sin, then we begin to grow in grace, not into grace. That is an act of faith. The second begins the process of maturity. The first is purity, the second maturity. What are the conditions of our sanctification, of our being made holy and set apart? Everything that can be done for our sanctification has been done through Christ's death and resurrection and the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring into our lives the benefits for which Christ died. Amazing. What prevents us from entering into this glorious and liberating experience with God? Just one thing our failure to do our part to meet the conditions that God requires. Which is entire consecration and faith in Christ. In truth, a person may be sanctified just as soon as there's adequate desire to be sanctified. Desire must precede faith for this work to happen in your life. In fact, I believe no person has ever been sanctified who believed it to be unnecessary. Because you would never have faith for it if there's no need from your point of view. No one can believe that God will entirely sanctify until his all or her all is on the altar, fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And when the desire is sufficient and the consecration complete, you may expect that our great God will purify your heart by faith and fill you with himself. The mind is in it, but it's not entirely intellectual agreement. The, the will is in it, but it's not in merely a decision of the will. The heart is in it, but it's not merely an emotional response. It's a response of the whole person embracing and clinging to the whole work of Christ that saves us from our sins 
and cleanses us from the power of the sinful nature by removing it from our life, setting us free to live the new kind of life that God has called us to live. Well, a final thought. Jesus prayed this prayer not only for Peter and Andrew and Philip and the names that we've mentioned tonight, he prayed for you as he did for me. For again in verse 20, Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. If you have believed in Christ through the message of Scripture, Jesus has prayed for you. This prayer, his desire that his disciples then would be sanctified is his desire for us today. So I ask you, has this prayer been answered in your life as a second definite work of grace? Does your heart cry out to God for a deeper work of heart cleansing and purifying of your desires and motives? Like the disciples, we are followers of him. Like them, we have answered his call. And maybe like them, we still need his cleansing power. One writer said, Break off the yoke of inbred sin and fully set my spirit free. I cannot rest till pure within, till I am wholly lost in thee. You must simply, completely surrender your right to control your life back to God in Christ and accept by faith his cleansing power in your heart and life. This is keeping the main thing, the main thing. Praise his name. I've asked Jonathan to just lead us in a closing song that brings our thoughts around this message and allow it to be an invitation. If anyone would want to pray about this message or your life or where you are, I know I and perhaps a few others could stay and pray with you if that would be your desire. Or perhaps it's just the response of a grateful heart of one who's already experienced this special cleansing power. I was a young pastor in my first church actually my second church two, two years plus in my first church and then planted my second church and was preaching uh, on this very topic of entire sanctification because I was sanctified as a young boy and um, somewhere I became uh, kind of preached myself under conviction <laughs> that I you know I wasn't really sure anymore and certainly the power that we preach that comes into your life with a pure heart, I wasn't positive. And so I began to pray, not saying anything to my congregation or even my wife. God, I want to be sure. And would you show me 
the condition of my heart. Don't pray that if you don't mean it. So over the course of about six weeks, I, I had this growing sense of, I don't think I got this. I, I know what it means theologically, but experientially I wasn't sure I had it. And then on a, an evening when I was working on a sermon, actually it was a Saturday night, and uh, kind of working on my message for Sunday and had this cloud over my heart, you know, just like, oh, burden, and it was conviction. And so I locked my door. It was, I had an office in the house because we had no facility yet in a church plant. And got on my knees and, and, uh, and, and prayed. Actually, I just bawled for the next 45 minutes. And, and I couldn't pray because I was... And my mind raced until I could see attitudes and responses I had against people that weren't real nice to me, that's pretty easy to get those, you know. And every time the Lord would bring one up, I'd just kind of blubber it out and say, yeah, you can have that too. And it was just like a cleansing process. And when I was done, I felt clean. Amen. So I didn't say anything to my wife or the congregation. But probably um, a couple weeks later, one of our prominent church members, I love him today, they sent us a card since I lost my mom. and He came up to me and he said, I don't know what's happened to you. But he said, you're, you're different. And your preaching is different. Hmm because I was now a sanctified preacher. And the power was there. Praise the Lord. Highly recommend it to you. And all these years later, still very tender when I think about how good he's been. So I just leave you with that thought. If you're not sure, if you ask God to show you whether or not he'll, he'll reveal it, and you'll know, and you'll find him in that sanctifying relationship. Lord Jesus, be with us tonight. Thank you so much for a great crowd and of uh, those whom you've called to witness and minister in your kingdom. Be with them as they return to the classroom. Focus their mind around what uh, is before them tonight and help them to get it not only in their head, but in their heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.